My watch shows 3.45, so we're going to get started. Welcome to the final Saturday workshop of the 2016 Region 2 Convention. My name is Karen, and I'm a compulsive eater and your moderator for this workshop. Hi, Karen. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. And if you've heard before that even if you think it's off, please check again. And there's another announcement. Uh, as of 5 o'clock tonight, we have a few more Saturday dinner and Sunday breakfast speaker event tickets available for sale. Dinner is $50. Breakfast is 30 That's fundraising. Go to the registration table on the second floor to get your ticket. And I'll make this announcement one more time before we finish. Okay. Um, the opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Over Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak only to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. If there is press in the room, please do not take any unauthorized pictures or identify anyone using their full name. There will be audio recordings of this workshop which you may purchase outside the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by Ask It Basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. The um, This doesn't sound right. It says the topic the topic for this session is Big Book Page eighty three. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Big Book <laughs> Big Book Page eighty three. I'm in the wrong place. A new freedom and a new happiness, and the principle is trust. Okay. We will you know, I'm just thinking, am I in the right room? Because I thought I was doing a is this two? You're on. Okay, we will begin with a selection from For Today, page 157. I came to OA with just enough hope to try. There was nowhere else to go, nothing left to do. I gave up my will and was relieved of obsession. Today I trust more than I did yesterday, and I will trust more tomorrow than I do today. Let's welcome Jennifer, our first speaker. I'm Jennifer, a food addict. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, I like to use the word food addict because addiction runs in my family. And I thought I had escaped, that this little bird flew the addict family problem. And I wasn't going to have it, darn it. It wasn't going to be in my life. I was going to live different. And, and it didn't even occur to me how much ego it took to just say, 
darn it, you know, these people, my family, they couldn't conquer it, but I was going to. I was going to do it by sheer grit and determination, good old American style. And um, so when I came into these rooms, totally and completely, like 100% defeated by food addiction, and I heard the words food addiction, um, I was, it like gave me chills and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I thought I was just gonna, I had, I climbed this mountain and defeated it. That's what I thought. And, um, and there was a lot of ways I thought I was going to defeat it. I thought I was going to defeat it by going to school. I thought I was going to defeat it all kinds of ways. But let me tell you a little bit more about me. Um, when I came in here, I'll give you a little bit of information. Um, I'm in my, I'm 44. I've been in program six years. Um, my top weight's around 203, 206. I kind of like quit weighing myself. Like, like if I'm losing weight, I will weigh myself like four, I don't know, four times a day. Cause it's like, Ooh, I'm still that weight. Ooh, maybe it's a half pound less. Ooh. Right. But if it's gaining suddenly, like the scale is like this, you know what I mean? This evil judging, you know, thing anyway. And, um, so let's see. Uh, so that was my top weight. I'm about 5'4", five, 5'4 four, five, four and a half. Got to get the half on there because you're packing a lot of weight into that. So the half is very important. And um, I, I lost about 75, 80 pounds in program. Took me about a year, maybe a little more than a year to lose that. Um, and, and then I had to figure out how to stay there because I've lost weight before, never that much. By the way, I never thought that was even possible. Like literally I kind of thought, um, maybe 140 pounds. Now I'm about 125 pounds, somewhere right in there. Um, I, I really thought 140 was as low as, as I would ever get. That's as low as I ever could. That's as long as I could ever white knuckle it through any of the 25 or so diet and exercise programs that I did. I didn't just do them once. I did them repeatedly, gain, lose, gain, lose. And I didn't even know it was that number until I came in this program and they asked me the question, how many things have you tried? And I was like, uh-huh. And it, and that's a weird thing. Like when I, when I came in here, it was somehow, don't ask me how this works, but something about food addiction erased me, erased my feelings, erased my life, erased my memories. I would come in here and I would listen to people talk about what happened to them with food. And I'd be like, how do they, how do they know to say that? How do they remember that? Like, and I, and it was funny. I remember somewhere around two or three years into being clear, uh, um, I, I work in a wall every year, which stands for a way of life where I study the 12 steps, usually using the big book or the AA 12 and 12. And I, after two or three years of doing this and coming into the rooms and hearing people talk and trying the, my best to figure out how to get through each and every day without eating. Cause that's what I don't know how to do. Um, to me, my default is eat. And, um, I was, a I'll tell you more about some of my eating behaviors in just a minute, but um, hold on, I'm rewinding because I was taking you somewhere. Oh, telling my story. So I was about like two or three years in a program and I had this memory pop into my head. I was at a restaurant with my parents. I was like little, like three, four. And, um, I, and they had this sugar and I was putting it on my food, putting it on my mom, puts it out of reach. I'm, get it, putting it on my food. Finally, it's gone. And I knew, I knew my mom had put it away. And I knew my mom did not love me because if she loved me, she would give it to me. And I, it was like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't an angry thing. It was a defeated, hopeless place to be because I couldn't have more. And my mom wasn't going to give it to me. And 
that's little. <laughs> so this thing has been with me as far as I know, and I wasn't aware of it. Remember, I'm victorious over addiction. I was going to educate myself. I was going to go to church. I was going to go learn faith stuff. I was going to figure this thing out. And I knew people who were in 12-step programs, and I thought, ooh, that sounds so good. I, I kind of wish I had a problem so I knew what to do. And they're like, oh, well, anyone, if you've got in your family and go to Al-Anon, nope, I didn't go to Al-Anon, not once. I don't know why. You know, here I was in admiration of what I understood about people who I knew who were struggling with, let's say, alcoholism and went into AA and told me what they did. And they even said to me, do this. Did I do it? No. No, I somehow, the ego was there. And really, I think the addiction was already in effect. I think I kind of didn't want to know. I think I knew there was some really uncomfortable, unfelt feelings going on, and I was not ready to deal with it. Until I broke. So um, let me see. What else can I tell you about? I just want to make sure that I qualify with you. So I talked about my size. And that was one of the main things you could look at me. And you can't always look at us and see this disease is happening. But you could look at me. And you could have seen it. I had a lot of health problems. It seemed like every 5 or 10 pounds I gained. My hormones went a little more haywire. My skin got really bad. Whether it was... um, you know, deep cystic acne or eczema, um, I and just general redness. Um, I had asthma. I was taking increasingly scarier asthma medicine. They were like, sometimes people just die when they take this medicine, but you can't breathe, so here you go. And it was like... And um, I was ending up in the hospital. I had digestive problems I'd had my whole life. And I had heard of doing, like, elimination diets... That, believe me, I never did that diet. Uh-uh-uh. No, no, no. And um, so I, there was a lot of things I didn't know that were going wrong with my body. And I, I was, well, I was going to discover. Um, but basically, I was ending up in the hospitals and the doctor's offices. And I was very, very, very sick. Plantar fasciitis. I was in pain all the time. And I had sleep apnea and asthma. And I, I had gas, astrograph, gas, gas, acid reflux. And I couldn't lay sleep. Flat, so I had to sleep sitting up, and I'm a very light sleeper, so I wasn't getting good sleep. And between that and the sleep apnea and everything else, all the blood sugar swinging around and craziness, I had like no memory. I would like make a list to go to the grocery store, and it was lost before I got to the grocery store. I would get in the grocery store and I'd be like, I don't know what I need. And so I would go up and down the aisles, and like any good food addict, I was putting some of everything in there and two or three of the things I knew. My junk was on my list, you know what I mean? And if I, if it was, if I lost the list, I remembered the junk. <laughs> and I would get home, but I would be missing an ingredient for dinner. So I couldn't make dinner that night. So all the food would sit there and rot, and we would then go out. And I, I don't even, the money we spent on food must have just been astronomical, not to mention the doctor's bills and all the other things I tried to do for my health, all the weight loss plans. It was crazy. But that's what it was like for me. And I came into this program and I got abstinent. And in order for that to happen, you know, when I first came in, I did not trust that Al-Anon had an answer for me because someone told me that a long time ago. I came from an addict family. Go try it out. I didn't trust it had an answer for me. I didn't trust my faith. I hear I thought I was going to find all these spiritual answers for myself, but no. If anything, I started having this conclusion that God couldn't do anything for me, and I was a huge mess, and it seemed like the more I studied and the more I tried to do, the worse it all got, and I was just like, um, I don't, I have nowhere left to go here. Um, and so uh, I didn't trust my family. 
You know what I mean? My husband would come. I'd be sick. I'd be up sick all night. He's so worried about me. I'd be end up in the hospital. We'd be done with dinner. And of course, I'd have been putting everything away. And I'm waiting for him to leave the room because I'm going to get my junk. And, and he would be sitting there watching me because he knew what I was going to do. And I would get angry. Not this person cares about me, but you get out of my business. You get out of my way. You go upstairs. You do what you're going to do. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. You know what I mean? Even though that's going to land me in the hospital or up all night being sick. You know what I mean? And um, so I didn't trust. I didn't trust that they were trying to help me. I didn't trust my friends. I remember one time a friend... She called, I hadn't spoken to her, I don't know how long, and the first thing she talks about is something she's doing with her weight that's working. And I just remember, I think I used the F word, I was like, is that all we have to talk about as women? That's it? You know what I mean? We just talk about, you know, I I don't want to talk about, you know what I mean? There's more to life than talking about this. And it was just so, I was just angry, and nobody could really help me. But I came in the rooms, and I heard the word food addict, and I went, oh, no. Oh, geez. Seriously? Come on. You know what I mean? Don't I have this? Okay. So I did what they said and I I saw it and I heard someone tell the stories that they started to remember, Mike, like my story I told you when I was teeny tiny, how long this has been going on for. And I was like, wow. I was just thunderstruck. And I said, okay, tell me how. Tell me how. Because I've done this. I've done that. I've done that. You know what I mean? And I remember even after I got my 90 days and first started doing my shares, my sponsor saying, we don't talk about other programs. Because sometimes I would still get excited about some of the other programs because I kind of hope maybe once I got abstinent, I could eat this other way or I could do this thing. And it was like I would just obsess about food kind of any which way. Um, as a matter of fact, I just if, if I can qualify a tiny bit more, if you're just not convinced I'm a food addict yet or that I have compulsive overeating problems, I am somebody who um, restricted food, did juice fasting for 38 days. I'm somebody who practiced exercise bulimia. At one point, I was aiming for four hours a day because I figured maybe that would help me mitigate all the food that I was going to eat and that I was craving, so therefore my body must need it. Um, and I was convinced of that, by the way. And... Um, I have been healed of rescuing food from the garbage. You know, nothing could be thrown away because that's good food. You know, I am the person who can rescue that from the garbage. Not just that, but I had some rules, you know, something had gotten thrown away, but let's say it was still kind of in a package. I'm like, okay, that's still edible. Just take that right back out of the garbage, you know. And when I first heard eating out of the garbage in here, I had no memory of that. Again, no memory. I'm like, how do these people know these things? Then I remembered. I remembered the box of cookies that I put in there. Oh, sorry, the box of junk that I put in there that morning and threw away because God only knows I'd been in the in the cupboards because I had was flush with junk at the time, of course. And I and they had been in the back and they weren't the health. They were more healthy sorts. And so I just tossed these. Later realizing I was out of everything else. And I remember that memory came back to me of opening that garbage can and digging through and finding that box because I was going to have that thing because there was nothing left in the house, darn it. And um, yeah, food addiction, it's amazing. So when I got here, I didn't trust. I didn't trust myself. I didn't trust anything. But I saw people who came up and they named it for what it was and they had these stories about themselves and I began to believe in you people before I ever began to believe in me. And I think I began to believe in you even before I even began to trust my higher power because your stories are your stories are your stories. They are your life. And you come up here and you speak your truth and it just went into my heart and something began to shift. I began to say, I, it never occurred to me when someone got up to say, 
that person just made up a whale of a tale. You know what I mean? It was like, no, this is, I related to their pain. People came up and they shared their pain and their pain was like a life preserver for me. And it saved me. And so it turns out that my pain can be a life preserver maybe for you. That I can get up here and this pain and wreck of a life, you know, me limping and slogging and going to doctors and being angry and being in so much pain for so long um, can serve someone some good. It, it, it can actually be helpful and I don't want to shut the door on it. So um, when I pick up big books, we're going to look at 80, page 83. I always start in the preface, just it's always a good thing to kind of look at before you ever begin any of this work. The work of recovery is the work of identifying. And the first thing I did identify in with in here was somebody's honest story about the pain in their life. And because I could identify with that, I kept coming back until I figured out a lot of other things about how to arrest my food addiction, how to stop the cravings. But the first thing that caught me was your stories and trusting you and your hearts and your experiences. And I learned how to identify in. I quit looking at magazines and TV commercials and comparing my body and my nose and my eyes and my hair and my hips and my shoulders and every other doggone thing that I thought I needed to compare to everyone else. And now, in, instead of saying, how am I different, I look and ask, how am I the same? And that's where we start in the preface. It says, if you have a drinking problem, we hope you may pause in reading one of the 42 personal stories and think, yes, that happened to me. Maybe we had 42 stories this weekend. What do you think? Yes, that happened to me. Or more important, yes, I have felt like that. Or most important, yes, I believe this work program can work for me too. I believe... Those are words of trust, trust in each other's stories. So I learned to identify when I was somebody who was absolutely terminally unique. Nobody has a life like I had. Maybe I'll get into that if we have time, which you probably won't. But if you want to talk to me about my incredibly unique, painful life, I will gladly tell you about it because it is so, so unique. Nobody has a life like mine. I have very good reasons why I do what I do. Okay, so... I wanted to look. So now we're going to identify in, and we get to go to like this awesome, awesome, juicy page. And I, I, maybe this is great that I only have a few minutes left because I'll leave some goodies for the people coming up here. But in here, we look at the promises. It says, if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we're halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. So my trust as it grew, hearing your stories, trusting my sponsor, trusting my food plan, trusting the big book when it gives the doctor's opinion and it talks about the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, trusting that the steps are actually doing something very significant that's going to help me stay sane today. I began to have a new freedom and a new happiness, something I had always wanted and I didn't know how to get. And it came with a whole heap and helping of humility where I realized that any problem out there in the world, I have it or I have the potential to have it or I already had it and I'm just trying to hide it. And it's always just a matter of degree. And there's a real humility when you accept that about yourself. When you realize, when, when food addiction brings you to the point where suddenly you realize anything is possible. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, you know what I mean? Uh, if you look at something like the seven deadly sins, and I thought, well, sure, everybody struggles with pride, but I didn't think I struggled particularly horribly with, let's say, stealing. 
I thought maybe that wasn't something I struggled a lot with. But if you do a very thorough four-step, you're going to discover that you stole all kinds of things. Like I stole, well, a lot of people talk about food and um, all the different things with food they've taken. But for me, I stole like my energy. I was so tired and I was so preoccupied with, with stuff that I wouldn't be able to give myself fully to my job. So I like stole, I got paid for when I was just eating and fuzzed out and really be, being a very ineffective worker. But today I get to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And I'm not going to regret the past or wish to shut the door on it because my past is my story. And it's something that you can trust. It's the truth of who I am. It's the truth of my addiction. And we get to comprehend the word serenity and we get to know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experiences can benefit others. The deepest pit of my addiction, digging through that garbage can for that box of cookies, the deepest pit of my pain, I can't even get out of bed. I can't even take care of my family. I'm going 90 miles an hour on the freeway. All I got to do is jerk the wheel. The deepest pit of my pain can help someone else. And, and that begins a process where we have belief and we have trust. And that's where change can happen. And these promises start. And now that feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappears. It, it reappears. Um, I do go back to self-pity. It's, it's actually my favorite. I realize now it's one of my favorite, favorite things to do. I, I should just make a little self-pity crown. And, and I love it because when I'm there, I'm so convinced of my story. It is the saddest story. Oh, God, you would feel this way too if it happened to you. And um, I'm, I'm really good at it. I make it shiny. I would put sparkles on it. So I will lose interest in selfish things. Take a look at page 62 if you're not sure. I'm going to gain an interest in our fellows. I get to hear your stories. They mean so much to me. I get to be here. It's amazing. And um, self-seeking will slip away, and our whole attitude and outlook on life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. And this, by the way, is just one moment at a time. Sometimes I looked at these promises and I thought, oh, I'm not going to be afraid of not having money. I'm not going to be afraid of the economy collapsing because something Britain did. I'm not going to be afraid of, you know what I mean? No, no, no. Today, this moment, as I take this action, I speak to you on the promises, I don't have to be afraid. I'm not actually thinking of those things at all until I took a moment and said, what am I afraid of economically right now? I actually had to stop and think for a second there. Um, but when I'm here and I'm doing this, there is this flow, and it's just a moment at a time as I let my higher power guide me. So we will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And I trust that my words will go out today just like words came to me and that they will, they will continue the work of program the way it's been happening for over 70 years now, these ripples that just keep going out from this wonderful book that I trust. I have a higher power that I trust, and I trust that you have yours. Thanks. Thank you, Jennifer. And where is our ask it basket? Is it moving around? Let's keep it, yeah, keep it moving. Thank you. Our second speaker is Barbara. Woo-hoo!
Hi, I'm Barb, and I'm from Sacramento, and I'm a compulsive eater. Okay. How you doing? How's everybody? Cold enough? Okay. Um, I want to first. I want to take a moment just to thank uh, the um, the committee, the convention committee, who puts this on uh, at a location every year, and they did it here in, as I like to refer to it, Milpitas. And um, and and how grateful I am to be asked and honored that I am to be asked to speak about um, my recovery in Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, my uh, abstinent date is October. Oh, my goodness, it's October 8th. Yes, October 8th of 1995. I was just thinking of my dad's birthday, which is on October 7th. So I think it's October, yes, it's October 8th, 1995. I've celebrated 20 years of abstinence. My top weight was somewhere over 225 pounds. I decided it wasn't necessary to really know after that number was hit. And, um, and that was, and I got to 225 very honestly, um, Everything from exercise bulimia to multiple diets to losing 50 pounds, then putting on 70, losing 10, putting on 30. Um, it, was, it wasn't pretty. And, uh, and I'm maintaining about a 65-pound weight loss uh, at this time, and, uh, and I'm the healthiest I've ever been. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm pretty happy. Um, but it didn't start that way in OA. Um, when I came into the rooms, I will tell you, I was just a touch angry. And, uh, and it worked because I was in a particular career where uh, intolerance, superiority, judgment, did I mention intolerance, um, and anger with really good vocabulary was a strength. And... Um, when I came in to these rooms, and I came in w- w- from a recommendation outside help, a skinny-ass little runt counselor, uh, who said, you might want to take a look at these books. Gave them to me upside down, uh, binding away from me with a little fear in his eye. And um, I said, they're just books. They're just books. I got home, and then I called him names that involved words that you're not allowed to say on tape. Um, and then I spent the next three days at my job with the door locked on my office reading the stories, the, the book of stories. I, um, speaker talked about it today. It's a, a phenomenal book. We used to call it the chocolate book. Um, but it's, it's just called Overeaters Anonymous. And, and I think we're in our second or third edition now. And I swore, I'm reading this book, I'm crying, and I'm quite certain that they've been following me for the past 20 years and writing down all the things I was doing with food. So I read that book, and I went back to see the skinny-ass little runt therapist, and he asked me if I might be willing to go to an OA meeting. And I said, yes. I'm not, you know, it's like, I'm not afraid of that. And um, so he got a former client of his. Uh, we hooked up, and she brought me to my very first OA meeting. And it was the Saturday Morning Steps and Traditions Study in Sacramento, which is still my home group today. And um, I went to this meeting, and they happened to be uh, talking about the 11th step. 
not a good place to start and for me. And I remember somebody leaning over in the middle of the meeting when they were going to share, I guess, at the time I didn't know. And they all looked fairly normal and a little too happy. Um, and they said something along the lines of, I don't know what my face looked like, but don't worry about that God stuff, Barb. Uh, welcome, we're really glad you're here. Stop talking directly to me. I was, what was going on in my head? At the end of the meeting, um, I talked to the gal who brought me, and she said, we're going to stand up and, and hold hands and say a prayer. I said, it's okay, I'll stay here. It's all right, you go ahead. So have you ever heard of the little children's uh, song, uh, Farmer in the Dell? And the cheese stands alone. I mentioned food. but So I sat in the middle because I didn't want to get up. And everyone's standing around in this meeting holding hands saying, I put my hand in yours. And I'm like, this is so not. How fast can I get out of here? And then three women blocked the door. Um, and uh, were offering me their phone numbers. Um, I thought that quite odd. But that was my first experience with OA, and um, it was not my first day of abstinence. I compulsively ate that day in a way that uh, involved a lot of food, driving my car on country roads at over 100 miles an hour, and playing with my gun. And if anyone dares say that compulsive eating is not a disease that can drive you to suicide. I'm willing to tell them my story. So I continued to go to meetings. And in preparation for today and about trust, because I would just prefer to tell you my story. It's easy. I know it. There's, I can't really lie. There's too many people in this room that know my story. <laughs> but it's not the way it rolls. We're talking about trust, a new freedom and a new happiness. So I said, well, I better go figure out what trust means. And I found out that it was a noun and a verb. Action, which we know a lot about in our program of Overeaters Anonymous. And so as a noun, it's a firm belief in reliability of someone or something. And in the verb form, it's to believe in the reliability of someone or something. So when I came, before I came into this room, I'll tell you what my trust was. I came from a, a mentality of, oh, yes, I trust you, but I'll verify. Very much a trust but verified girl. I trusted these things. Me, my intellect, my mind, my strategic plans. I trusted me. It's a small group, and there's not room for a lot of growth. Uh, <laughs> And so there were not many people that I felt I could trust or rely on. One, my expectations were so magically high that you were going to fail, and so therefore I could not trust you. The only constant in my life before I came into OA was work and food. And I found a way to trust both of those things. Now, I trusted them to be there, to be present, and to feed whatever it was that I didn't know was missing in my center, in my spirit. Was there freedom? Was there happiness? I thought so. I thought so because I was getting promoted. I was making more money. I was winning awards. I had an ego wall in my office. You ever hear of an ego wall? 
And I had all of the little plaques and awards up there. So when you sat across from me and looked at me, it was behind me. <laughs> and you got to enjoy all that I had earned. It was a lovely opportunity for you to get to know me. And um, my positions became more powerful in my workplace. And I had more money and I could buy better, more food. And more people worked under me. <laughs> yes, that was a joy. Um, I had more. Now I will share with you that my last name is Moore. <laughs> so it was great. I had the name of my disease on a daily basis. Um, unknown to me. So any freedom or any happiness that I experienced, and there were moments of it, there truly were. I didn't live isolated. I was out and about doing some, I have stories. They're great stories. And there was fun and there was happiness, but everything was temporary. Everything was fleeting. It was momentary. And it was just like whenever I ate the whatever I ate, oh, it was great until it wasn't, until, ugh, and it didn't feel good. So I came into OA, and I will tell you, because um, I lived from here up, I don't know if anyone else did that, and from here up for the tape, it's from the neck up. I'm a size 8 from the neck up, right, in my mind, um, while I'm wearing a size 18 or 20 skirt with a big baby diaper, the old-fashioned baby diaper pin holding it together, underneath the blazer in 102 degrees in Sacramento walking to my workplace. Joyous. So I came into OA. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to give it two years. Oh, you guys are not organized. You need a little help with that. I'm going to get all the literature. I'm going to learn the vocabulary. I'm going to get this step thing. There's only 12. Whatever. I got advanced degrees. And I'm going to... Um, because I can trust a book. I don't know if any of you ever got lost in books, but I trusted books. The meetings, we're going to go to them because they're the magic decoder ring for all the vocabulary. I'm going to learn the vocabulary. And then you started talking about icky feelings. And icky feelings were not appropriate because, you see, I was only angry or not angry. Those were the, That's it for me. <clears throat> Very challenging, because now there's people crying in meetings, and I'm like, fuck up. <laughs> really? How is my butt going to get smaller with this? Because that's why I came in OA, because I can remember the first day I walked in with that skinny-ass rent therapist. So tell me a little bit about yourself, Barbara. I'd be happy to because I love talking about me at that time. Still do, as you can see. But I said, it's interesting. Everything I've put my mind to in my life, I have achieved. I graduated college. I went to graduate school. I graduated. I got a job. I have a house. I have a car. But it's interesting. The only thing I seem to not be successful at is losing weight. And keeping it off. I, well, actually, I can lose weight, but it's keeping it off. And he, this guy, great guy. I love this man. He's, he's like one of my Eskimos. And he has one of these eyebrows, and it just kind of goes up. And he goes, oh. And he waited a year to give me those books because I was a little angry. And he knew he had to wait. So here I am coming into these meetings away. Oh, by the way, I'm going to 7 to 10 meetings a week. And I'm not compulsively eating. 
So that's scary. That should scare you because now there's not one feeling inside of me that's being numbed. And I'm going to seven to ten meetings a week. I have a canvas bag with every piece of literature in case you have a question. (laughs) And I'm going to answer it and find the answer for you because that's what I do. And then I hear about sponsors, and I hear about God, and I hear about going to OA, and how, and I hear about this connectedness and this faith, blah, business, and I'm like, what? And um, and then the, the message comes pretty quick. You're, you know what? You're you're good. You're smart, Barb. Noted. We got that. But you might need a sponsor who can explain a little bit. Differently, Because you know what? It's my brain that got me up to 225 angry and pissed off. It's my best thinking. that, And I couldn't think my way out of anything when it came to my body. I could fix all of your lives, but I could not do anything to change me. I needed outside information that just didn't come from a book. I needed a connection with a human being. And that's what OA did. Because I learned that it was better if I just did it on my own. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'm from New England. Figure it out. March forward. <laughs> no. So got the sponsor lady. Tall, skinny, blonde. What? Who believed in, had a faith stronger than anything I'd ever seen. And I knew I had to ask her to be my sponsor because that God thing was the thing I was most afraid of. And so she told me about her faith, and I'm going, okay, whatever, thank you very much for sharing. But I had to do this step one. I had to admit. I had to come to believe. I had to start talking about a God, a higher power. And I didn't say God first. And and I'm like, okay, is this really going to make my butt get smaller? And she said yes, and many other things. Right. And so I kept going to meetings. And she said, we have to do this work, Barb, with steps. We have to use the tools. There were eight at the time. There's nine now. You need a plan of eating. Do you have one? Yes, I do. What is it? Three meals a day, life in between, no dessert food. She goes, fantastic. Can you do that today? Yes, I can. And I will tell you that Ben and Jerry, Seas Candy, and um, Wonder Bread all took a big hit in their profit margin on October 8th. (laughs) So we started to work the steps. And we started with the writing. And I had to talk to the sponsor because, and it was great, she never asked me questions. She just said, okay, let's do this writing. So I would write vociferously. I was a novel writer (laughs) and um, because drama's good. And, and then she would have me read it to her from step one. She desensitized me to re- reading it out loud. Because when we got to step five, I had to read it out loud. And I started to feel okay about some things. And my butt started getting smaller. And she says, oh, by the way, you're going to be secretary of the Sunday afternoon 3 o'clock meeting. I said, oh, no, I'm not. And then she had a size 12 foot. And um, it, it fit beautifully, and she could be stern. And, um, and we started talking about trust and doing service and taking action and showing up and having a plan of action with a plan of eating before there was ever a plan of action tool. And so things are different, real first. They're becoming real because the anger is right here, and then it gets different because I'm not as angry immediately. And then it gets real different. 
And I can remember on a Friday night, we had a meditation meeting on Friday night, and I was in the middle of the third step, and I was fighting it. And I, I used to study martial arts. I'm a black belt. No joke. Good for the anger, right? And, um, and I used to be an instructor. So I wore my gi pants, not anything else, just my gi pants to the meditation meeting. And I had on a sweatshirt, and I'm sitting there, arms crossed. They did a 15-minute meditation, which I'm sure was really two hours because the timer wasn't doing a good job. And I come out of there, and I'm just this. I'm going to bust. This woman had just finished working a 12-hour shift, and she stands out there and talks to me in the cold, the cold of January, for two hours. And I had that moment. It might be okay to believe and trust that a power greater than myself could care for me. And that's what step three, she said, was about, was turning my will and my life over to not God, but the care of God. And i got to tell you, my life changed. My house became cleaner. My chores were done. Work was more efficient because I didn't, wasn't spending all the time eating at the vending machine, stealing food from my secretary. And step three became this thing that was very different and weird. And how can I possibly trust? Weight loss came, a bigger life. I was happier. I was healthier. I had a big life. I had freedom. I had serenity. And then life happens. It's great because you know what? You get to be abstinent in a way, and then life happens because that's what happens. And you, I got my heart broken. In a relationship, I got my heart broken. I'll never survive. I did. I'm here to tell you. That was at year six of abstinence. Soon after that, I was accused of criminal and administrative misconduct on the job. I was a peace officer position kind of thing. I was off work for four months. While I was investigated, I was Mirandized, I was interrogated. I felt forsaken from my God, forsaken. Their trust had been broken. And here's the gift. In those months, because of all the service I had done, I was going to the grocery store to collect grocery carts and put them in the corral. I was going into the store to help old people get things off. I was looking to do service wherever. My, I worked my sponsees into the ground during those four <laughs> months. And what happened afterwards? I was cleared of everything. They screwed up. I had a part. I screwed up. And I got to continue on my career. Life continues to happen. It gets bigger. The experiences happen. Travel comes to you. Friends grow. Your professional life. And then there's bigger challenges with your bigger life. And you need to have even a bigger trust in your higher power. A bigger belief. As my friend in this room says, big love. Big love. If you forget the trust of God, as I have done on a time, my ego will happily step in happily step in and take over from the neck up. And then it gets painful. And then food kind of creeps in or results happen. And I learn only at the speed of pain, even at 20 years. So I have to bring myself, my butt, my ego, my best thinking to a meeting or to a sponsor. And I have to go and trust 
that the answer is there. And I have to take it to my higher power. So if I'm willing to turn my life and my will over to my higher power, life is good. I will tell you in closing two things. I'm 58. 51 years of my life, my mother was my enemy. I think from birth, I'm pretty sure. I'm the oldest. And um, and then right around when I turned 51, after a lot of work, things changed. I changed. And I had this relationship with my mom, who were wired very much the same. The apple doesn't fall from the tree. I tried to roll once I hit the ground. And um, I learned good words, kind words, peaceful words, kindness. And I got to be present a year and a half ago when she died. And when she asked me, I was telling her condition, she said, am I dying? And I said, yes. She was good. Let's go. Hop to it. I need to get things done. That's what she said. I'm just letting you know. So... Life happens, big changes. I'm retiring at the end of this year at 58. Yeah, baby. And here's the question I get, and here's my response. But what are you going to do? And my answer is this. I don't know, but I trust whatever's supposed to show up will, and then that's what I'll do. I hope all of you are abstinent today. All of you are joyful, free, and happy. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Our third speaker is Kate. And where where is the ask it basket? Is it, oh, okay. I'll, I'll come around again. Maybe pass it around one more time, then I'll come pick it up. Hello, Kate. Hi, I'm Kate, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Anybody else here have a problem with food? Who's glad they came today? Yeah, me too. Me too. I'm going to talk. I'm going to read you the promises. I'm going to talk about the steps and how I work the program. And I'm going to tell you what it means to me to be able to trust. I have been obese and I've been underweight, obese for long periods of time and underweight for moments. (laughs) That said, I have no desire to be an anorexic. I thought that would be cool before I came into program and now some of my best friends are anorexic and they're just as fucked up as I am. (laughs) I've been in program for 28 years and I've been abstinent for 28 years. And that's not due to me, that's to the grace of a higher power. I think there are two reasons I'm abstinent. And one is that I have a higher power who loves me and who loves you and who is always available. And the other reason I'm abstinent is that I go to two meetings a week at least. My first sponsor said, how many meetings a week do you think you need to go to? I said one. She said, good, go to one more than you think you need. If I'm under stress for any reason, I go to more meetings. I love meetings. I have a plan of eating. It's not fancy, it's mutable, but I have a plan of eating every day. Why? Because I'm a liar when it comes to food. And I'm a total fantasy geek around food. 
I have to have a plan of eating. I have a sponsor. I've had a sponsor since the first week I came into program. In fact, I've had a series of sponsors because when I came in, I was mad as hell. And they said I needed a sponsor. I was mad as hell to be there. I was mad as hell to be a compulsive overeater. I was mad as hell to be fat. But they said I needed a sponsor. I've heard other speakers talk about a gift of desperation. That is the biggest gift possible. So I've always had a sponsor. If the sponsor moved away or I moved away, I got another sponsor. I always get exactly the sponsor I need. Whether we're together for a week or 20 years, I always get the sponsor I need. And about 10 years in, uh, the sponsor I had was no longer available. I looked around and nobody worked their program as well as I did. So who was I going to ask? The ego doesn't go away. It just looks for good opportunities. But I, I didn't know. So I prayed, and I said, and I walked into my next meeting, and there was only one other person in the meeting. I'd never seen her before. We did a regular meeting. We followed the format. She seemed very comfortable with it. At the end, she turned to me and said, will you sponsor me? And I said, could you tell me something about yourself? She had about 40 years in another program, and she was a big book thumper. So I said, could we co-sponsor each other? And that was wonderful. Again, I get exactly what I need. I'm going to read the promises now. The promises are found on pages 83 and 84 after the discussion of step nine. Okay, I'll stop and say, why should we work the steps? Because we're told we should? That's not a reason that any addict I know does anything. Certainly not me. When I came into program, I didn't want another diet. I did want to be thin and eat everything I wanted, but that's always been on the table and it's never going to happen. I wanted long-term recovery, and I wanted peace of mind. And the people who had those things not only had worked the steps, they were working the steps. I've never seen two people work the steps the same way. I've never had a sponsee who worked the steps exactly the way I have. I've never seen anybody work the steps perfectly, and I've never worked the steps perfectly. I don't even know what that would look like. All I know is that if I work the steps... I'm abstinent. And if I work the steps, I get gifts beyond my wildest dreams. Don't we all want to be happy, joyous, and free? If we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. The subheading for this workshop share was trust, which just, I didn't even see that until today, the subheading, and I thought, oh, shit. Because <laughs> I need to talk about what I need to talk about, and it has to do with trust. A lot of us have interesting stories. 
um, that I wouldn't normally share because I don't need to. But I was um, severely abused as a child, the kind of childhood that kids aren't supposed to survive. And one of the things that happened to me is I wasn't allowed out of the yard. I couldn't play with other children. And I was told that I was a burden, so I was not to talk to adults either. That did not build trust. And it meant that when I came into program, I was doing about the scariest thing I possibly could do, which was asking for help. But I asked for help, and everyone I asked helped me, and nobody hurt me. I've done a lot of work on all this stuff outside of program, too. But I think that in addition to the self-loathing, a lot of us bring some really good reasons that we've been abusing ourselves. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. I love the question. questions. Can you give up trying to figure things out? Can you give up trying to know what to do? We just follow directions. What a relief. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. There's nothing in there about the doctrine of our childhoods. There's nothing in there about naming a God. It just says, is there something that greater than me, absolutely the air conditioning at the moment, <laughs> that can restore me to sanity? I love cats. I love literature. I love music. And I've always believed in God. Don't ask me why, but I've always believed in God. So I knew there was something out there, and I was willing to entertain the notion that it might love me. Three, oh, and you do know, I'm sure you do know this, but I forget it sometimes. The steps are all meant to start with we and not I. We made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. I had a problem with this, and the sponsor I was working with said, what's your problem? Be explicit. And I said, I'm afraid I'm going to be sent to Calcutta to work with Mother Teresa and the lepers. She said, you're Catholic. I said, no. Your family was Catholic. No. She said, okay, do you want to go to India? I said, no. She said, okay, but if, if, that, if that's actually what you have to do, would you be willing to? Yes. <laughs> it's been 28 years, and I haven't been to India yet, and Mother Teresa died. Okay. But I have been some really interesting, cool places that scared the out of me. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Keep it simple as the phrase that works for me here. This is something I have to do, not all the time, but when something absolutely knocks me flat, and I think all of us have had horrific losses, eventually I get around to doing this, because it always starts with, it's not my fault at all, or I ought to be dead. And it ends with, oh, shoot. Okay, yeah, I did this, this, and this. Let's move on to step five. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Do you know, quite often when I do this step, people laugh. You know, I turn over my fifth step, and I think they're going to be just devastated or moved by what I've done, and they just laugh in recognition. Six, now why am I working through the steps? You all know this stuff, right? I'm walking us through the steps because this is the last place, I think, to go for help, even now. Attic brain. 
And I want to remember today to look at the steps. And I want to extend them for the gift that they are. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. I don't get to do it. Can you give up trying to figure things out, right? Seven, I love seven. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Oh, shoot, it's not going to be me. It's going to be my higher power. Thank you. And it's going to be in my higher power's time. Eight, made a list of all persons we'd harmed, became willing to make them amends to them all. It's the becoming willing that's hard. But even then. Nine, made direct amends wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Boy, that's hard. And yet, this brings us up to the promises. We will be amazed before we're halfway through. So by step four, we will be amazed. If I had not started to feel relief the first day I was in program, I would not have stayed. If I had not started to feel better. And I keep feeling better, despite all the things, as the previous speaker was saying, that life throws. And some of them are wallops. I keep feeling better. Well, let's look at the promises now. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. You'll have to trust me. I'm really tired right now. I've been up since 3 this morning. But I was ready to start dancing with the other two presenters, and I'll do it afterwards, too. My life is great joy and love and challenge. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. I do not worry nor obsess about my childhood or any of the other losses that I've experienced, but only because I've taken them through the steps. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. I love you and it doesn't matter whether or not you love me. No matter how far down the scale we've gone, we'll see how our experience can benefit others here and in my work. The best thing I can ever do is identify with someone else's share. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. On a one-day-at-a-time basis, I love the Step 11 prayer because I have to be reminded to keep an eye out for self-pity, fear, dishonesty, self-will. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic security will leave us. I'm still scared of you guys sometimes until I'm actually in the same rooms with you. And then I'm just so glad that we're friends. And we are, by the way, you don't, I don't know most of you and you don't know me, but we're friends. The economic insecurity, I just don't worry. I just don't worry about it. Um, Why? Because I'm 61 years old and there are times that things have been tough and my higher power will always say, sweetheart, go over there. Okay, I'm not gonna be dropped on my head. Or if I am, it's time. I do not require my higher power give me a perfect life, not give me pain, or make me immortal. Nor does my higher power have to prove that he is or she is my higher power by saving those I love from pain. That's not the nature of life. But my higher power is everywhere. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle This is all the time for me. And we'll realize that God's doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. 
I want very much for there to be time for you guys to speak and ask questions, and so I'm going to stop right now. Thank you. Thank our speakers for sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Okay, we've got some questions. The first two um, I'll combine. One says, I struggle with trust, HP, and other people. Can you suggest an action plan that I might use just for today? And one that's very similar. Can you describe... Oops, wrong, 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 wrong. Let's just go with that one. Look at this. It ends this way, too. Oh, wow. Score. I think we can see everyone. Can you hear us? Good. Who wants to go first? Um, <laughs> this feels great. How, how about, and that's a really good question, um, acting as if just for today. What would I do if I did trust my higher power? What would I do if I did trust somebody else and take that action today? I have a whole series on this one, but I'll try to make it brief because <laughs> this is huge for me, trusting higher power. And you'd think for somebody who sought spiritual solutions prior to program, I, I'd know more than I do. Um, but what I had to do is give up anything that causes a fight in me. So it turns out that a lot of spiritual issues and a lot of faith issues, I don't know, faith and science don't always line up, and there's these political things and those political things. And if something causes argument or fear in me, um, there's going to be some kind of judgment, something's wrong with me, I'm insecure somehow, am I really okay with my higher power? Maybe I'm not. All that's got to go. So if there's, it doesn't matter if it comes from something I've revered or other people revere or have the best intentions when they tell me. If it causes a fight in me, it has to stop because if I start fighting, I need to eat. I can't handle the fight. It overwhelms me. And the other thing is to... Um, uh, trust people. So sometimes I just act when I'm in a room with people that I've seen or heard their voices. I'll just say like, hmm, I wonder what, what would Kate say? And I just try to imagine Kate's voice and what she would say. Or I just think, what would Barb say? And I just try to imagine her like spunky personality. You know, and it's like, okay. And suddenly it's not me anymore. I, somehow I'm envisioning something very different than what happens when it's just me by myself. That's the same question. Did you want to answer it? This is the one they're answering. I'm sorry? This question is the one that they've answered. It's yeah. not a new one. Okay. I, I just wanted to add, this is a really, really, really good question. And it incorporates many, many parts. And the one thing that overlays it all, just from the simple question that I'm sensing, is a tremendous amount of fear. And fear is paralyzing. It has been in my life. And it's an acronym, false evidence appearing real, F everything and run, face everything and recover. I mean, we can pick them all up. But it sounds like you've been hurt a lot. And to hold out and ask for help or to ask someone to do something with you is very challenging. And we don't bow before people and we don't take beatings on the chin 
But you start with your sponsor and you ask, can you walk through this with me? You start and develop relationships. I just know that for me, I couldn't have the end all and be all of trust of everybody just because I asked one little question. So the people part was easy, easier for me to do in program. The God part was a little bit at a time. I remember when I w- walked into the um, church of my f- childhood, I was looking up to see if there was going to be lightning, and, and, and there wasn't, and it was safe. So little steps, don't expect big ones, and do them a little bit at a time every day. And just know that you're surrounded by love in OA as you try and work towards trust. But I think Kate had it. The steps are the path to trust. Jennifer talked about it. Our next question, can you describe when or how the miracle happened for you? Trusting God. My snarky response is, which one? Uh. I'll say something. Okay. Okay, so for me, um, there was a series of miracles. The first one was um, that miracles even happened. So when I came in the rooms and I started hearing people share their stories where they had been just as stuck and lost as me, and now suddenly they weren't, and a day at a time they were experiencing actual serenity. They weren't just running around in their head, freaking out about food and clothes and body image and insanity, right? They're like, no, I actually feel pretty mellow right now. I'm pretty happy. Um, I know what I'm doing and, you know, and, uh, oh, this thing's bothering me and I'll do this about it. Oh, and now I'm good again. And and they would actually say it all out loud. And so that was the first miracle I saw in other people. And I was like, oh my gosh, something, something's possible here. I saw it with my own eyes. It's not a story. It's not something that hasn't happened in thousands of years. No, no. This is like right now, today, happening with people. And that was my first miracle that I witnessed. And then it started happening for me. I started putting down the foods that I had to have, had to have, had to have, and screaming at me and talking to me. Put those ones down and start working this program, get a sponsor. And I began to see things change in me. Like two weeks after I put down pretty much the majority of my major trigger foods, like it was two weeks, I could lay flat and sleep for the first time in two years. A miracle, nothing, no medication I took, nothing could accomplish that. But I pulled those things out of my diet, ate not all day long like I wanted to, just you know, three rational meals. Suddenly I could sleep, I could lay down and get good sleep. That was a miracle. Still a miracle. (laughs) Okay. When you first experienced joy after working the steps, did that new feeling of freedom scare you? I love the idea that the feeling of freedom is scaring you. Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. <laughs> I think that's marvelous. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. When because there must be a limited amount of it. It's going to end. So I immediately started worrying about when it's going to end. You know, just like when I got to go wait, when will these pants not fit? Well, it was a minute and a half later, but you know, but in program, the first time I got to experience a joy that didn't involve 
body image? What are you thinking of me? And I just got to be me? The disease got in there and said, this isn't going to last long, so just enjoy it right now. And I had to, you know, stop, shut it down. You get to have it every day in some form. At least that's my experience now. It's not always sparkly. Sometimes it's just not getting hit on the freeway driving here from Sacramento because there were some interesting driving conduct on the road. And it was just joyful being in the car with three people and having our own meeting for two and a half hours. That was joy. Can I add something? Sure. Um, and it, it's, and I say this as somebody who's been in for 28 years, this is only one day at a time. Because it, and my experience isn't that at the end of step 12, the skies opened, there was rock music everywhere, and I never had to do the work again. I think that the first run through the steps is learning how to use them and maybe remembering the next time to use them. But it's, I think we give ourselves a great gift if we realize that it's a one day at a time program. Because then we stop thinking we've got to, got to create an ultimate anything. Our last question. What's next for you? What are you getting from HP that's yours to keep working on? Anybody? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? <laughs> what are you working on? I'm here. I'm socially maladroit, and this scares the shit out of me. <laughs> there you go. What are you working on? Because of the program, I finally had the courage to get a therapist and start opening up and recognizing that occasionally we start one program and we realize we've unpacked so much and we have to work like a whole other program. And, and finally, it's possible. And, and, now I, and I make sense, like meaning I know what I'm doing. I know my purpose for being there. I know what it is I'm trying to unpack. And I just keep showing up for it. Um. I uh, ordered a gross-sized box of miracle Grow for all of my character defects, and um, apparently I'm dating somebody right now. And um, so I'm getting to practice uh, um, a number of things and allowing him to be exactly who he is. Amazing, and then I'm getting to look at. I'm having to try and be a good employee at work with when while I know that I'm going to retire, not working well, (laughs) and um, and just being open to just wild possibilities uh, outside of the first six weeks after I retire, in which um, my goal is to sleep until I wake up. Let's thank them one more time. It is now time to close this session. Please stand, join hands as we close with the third step prayer.
good to know the difference. Should we do the other one too? Yes. I offer myself to thee to fill with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I have of thy power, thy love, 